Hey, y'all. Hello, hello. I'm Adria. I'm Andrea, and welcome to The, the Chronic, Chronic Hustle. Hustle. Hey, girl, hey. Hey. Welcome Hi. back. How are you? I am joyful. Ooh. I am joyful. I am. How are you? <laughs> Honestly. I Tell am us. happy to be here. Okay. Grateful, humbled, and... You know, a little, you know, pre-PMS. Pre-PMS. Okay. That's a thing. I'm just going to be honest. Look. But I'm happy to be here. Pre-PMS gets shit done. You're right. It does. It does. Because this ain't no time for the, for the BS, okay? I never thought of it that way. Oh. The, you text me like... Are you here? <laughs> I never where do that you? either. I know. I was like, oh, let me hurry up and get in. I didn't even say where. <laughs> no, but I was on her head this morning. I was That's like, okay. uh, are you going to be here? Check or, <laughs> um, So, hey, y'all. Welcome to episode seven. Seven. Welcome, welcome. Um, part mm-hmm. two of mm-hmm. um, Crohn's disease. And yeah, so before we get into all that. Yep. We're going to kick it off with our icebreaker. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Hey, um, so we're going to reach into the sparkly box. Adria is going to do the honors. She's reaching. I'm Ooh. acting like it's full. I'm going to grab one of yours, though, so I don't answer. How do you know it's mine? The way I, I folded it. My, I cut mine in half. <sighs> <laughs> Three hobbies that our audience doesn't know about. Yeah. One. Oh, she ready. Cross-stitching. I oh. like to cross-stitch. Have um, you seen Badass Cross Stitch on no, Instagram? No. Oh, you have, it's, right a, it's an incredible, um, um, what do you call it? Account. What's it called? Badass Cross Stitch. And it's very like thought provoking, very like things that you don't expect to see on a cross stitch. <laughs> She's looking, her jaw oh just dropped. <laughs> Isn't it good? Oh I, God, love I love it. Yeah. Um, I love, love, love the work. After I got um, diagnosed, my mom like was just looking for things to keep me busy. And she um, took me to Michael's and she bought me my first like cross stitch kit. And she taught me how to do it. And I made so many like yeah. just at home, like sick. It was honestly, it was like one of the best um, things like wow. to do because it occupies your mind and it, like takes you off of like yeah. the BS. Totally. Um, so I really, I like that. Nice. Yeah. One of mine is, um, I randomly, at points and periods in my life, I design clothes. Oh, shit. Um, so like, you know, when we made that post about, um, us having this collaboration and we're going right. to do something. So we kind of like put it up as this like mysterious, we have something in, in, in the plans, yeah. in the making. And somebody said, are you guys coming out with a clothing line? That's crazy. And I was like, well, I actually, if, I'll bring it one day. I have this whole like book and it's just all designs. So if anybody like uh, wants to collaborate, holler at me. Or I have, I have lots of designs yeah. actually right. that will work for hot yoga and also like tomboy but oh, still want to be girly styles so yeah oh my god <laughs> so i like we're, i'm sitting with a designer i guess oh. so but I, I mean i don't do it i don't pursue it it just is a hobby of mine that's amazing though. so yeah it, i think it'll come to fruition i think so too yeah i really so. do um second one some people might know this but not everybody um painting oh mm. 
I don't be, you was about to say singing? Yep. I, was I don't like, be <laughs> singing like that. I be thinking I can sing. My sister put it in my head that I can sing, but I can't really sing. Um, but painting. Yeah. I love to paint. I've been painting, I was in like advanced art classes in high school, and mm. I just enjoy it. Again, it's like therapeutic. I like yeah. things that are therapeutic. Totally. And um, anything that I can like drink wine and do. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, I play the piano. Uh, some people do know this about me, but uh, maybe people just like meeting me, they don't know that. Um, I was a classically trained pianist. <laughs> and, I've never um, heard you play yet. I haven't heard you play I'm yet. very shy. I'm very shy. If I hit one wrong note, I think that the world is over. Oh. Yeah, I can't. It's very hard for me to recover from that, oh. which is why I just don't like to play in front of people. So I play on my own, and okay. I love it. I'm That's trying to get good. I'm trying to get past that. So I'm back playing again at home by myself, but like I plan on learning some songs before the holidays. Okay, I'm okay. Playing at my parents' house, yeah. Okay. So we'll see. Holiday Christmas jam. Um, a third hobby. Ooh. Uh oh. Okay. Um mm. You be cooking. I be cooking. Can and we, I guess people we, don't yeah. I guess people don't really um People don't really know that. I do. I cook. I enjoy it. My my. I grew up around cooking, but really my sister, Antonia, she taught me how to cook. Like, I just stood by her side at all times, and she cooked, and I watched her cook, and everything that I know really came from her, mm. and I love it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's therapeutic. Yeah. I love things that just, like, calm me down, and I can drink wine while I do them. Mm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last um, hobby, ah, I, I guess I could say this. Some people do know this about me. I do like to like dance, like partner dance. You do. You yeah. be salsa in yeah. and cha-cha in. I like, oh, you're so cute. Yeah, I like to do all of those things. Um, when I'm feeling good, I'm about it. Oh, and so, yeah, I like to do that. But I don't like to dance like on my own. Like okay. if we just go to like a club and or it's like a twerk song on. I'm not that one on the floor. Mm -hmm. Nothing against it. I'm shy. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. No, I just and I just I feel more like I enjoy partner dancing. Yeah. So like Detroit that. Ballroom. Oh, so good. Yeah. You do be dancing. Yeah. It's fun. Okay, okay. Well, that was a fun icebreaker. Yay, I like that one. Icebreaker fun. Um, so I guess we can just like get into it. So part okay. one of Crohn's yeah. was um, my diagnosis, and we pretty much left off right before um, a really life-changing event for me in relation to my Crohn's. Um, I had been, you know, from 17 to 19 was probably my most, the time that I was most sick. Like, my symptoms were really, really bad, but I had also grown very strong and very, um, not numb to my pain, but if when I was in pain, I could hold a conversation yeah, with you. I could right, sit up straight. Right. I used to have to like double over, but I could literally hold a conversation um, in pain at that point because I've been like seven years. And so, when I was nineteen, um, I was in college. I was working, and I was working like a lot of hours a week for my dad. Um, this is when you were a personal trainer? Yep, I was yeah. doing personal training. I helped with the juice bar. I essentially, I've always worked for small businesses, and I just, like, supported anywhere that there was a hole, I filled that hole. Yeah. So if that was the front desk, the juice bar, um, even the personal training piece, like, people were quitting. So I had to step up and pursue that as well. 
but I was really, really sick and very visibly sick as well. But I think that if you weren't aware that I had Crohn's, you probably just thought that's how I looked. And um, I remember even during that time, I had a like a little bulge at my at the lower right um, side of my abdomen, and I was that development really pushed me to go to the doctor and try to get medicine, and um, I did. But the doctor that I went to was a former MD turned holistic doctor, but when he saw me and he treated me, he actually gave me prednisone because of that lump on my stomach. Um, and prednisone is a extremely strong steroid. It's really frowned upon to use nowadays, but they still use it. Um, and it basically takes your symptoms like right away. Like wow. I was, they put me on prednisone when I was diagnosed. Um, but the side effects are really immediate and they're very, um, detrimental so like brittle bones they make your bones brittle makes you gain weight especially in your face and like as a child you can only imagine as a teenage girl like don't nobody want to look like that um and he put me on the prednisone and I remember like having a feeling of knowing that it wasn't right yeah and also that it wasn't gonna be enough and the bulge on my stomach it wasn't that he ignored it it was almost as if I don't know. Like, I feel like he definitely did not recommend that I go to the hospital. Okay. That I will say. And, you know, at that time, I was still working out. Like, I was still moving about life as right. if everything was perfectly okay. Uh -huh. And that's, what, that's when we start talking about that chronic hustle and that we're in a lot more awareness now, currently. Right. But at that yeah. time... We, we, we were, like, normalizing our symptoms yes. and, like, okay, everything is fine. We're yes. good. We just got to do this and get through this. Yes. And you want to know something that I've learned about myself now is that I really, um, and I didn't talk about this in the first episode just to make sure that we stayed on track, but my relationship with my dad was really significant in that my father, um, and I'll keep it short, but my father is a textbook narcissist. Mm -hmm. And um, if you know anything about narcissism, they basically, like, narcissistic parents enslave their children to them. Yeah. And I really felt self-sacrificing to my dad. And so I was sick, but I felt like I, was, I couldn't be sick mm -hmm. because he needed me to do X, Y, and Z. A lot mm -hmm. of my decisions were made around pleasing him or supporting him. And these are all internal things. I'm 19 years old. All things that I've worked through currently, but they were very, very dominant at yeah, that time. Absolutely. And I neglected myself. Yeah. I neglected myself, and I, I also didn't have any guidance. And I remember I had a, a juice drink that I drank, and it was purple. It, I think it was purple or red. It might have beets. It might have beets in it. But I used the restroom one day, and my urine was red. And in that moment, I thought, well, maybe I'm, I'm urinating, you know, blood. And I remember my dad, because remember, my dad has Crohn's. I remember my dad telling stories about how he would piss or urinate blood. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, and it was the same, around the same time I had that bulge. Mm -hmm. So I went to him, and he was like, oh, no, 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 you're fine. Like, it was, it was like written off. 
Yeah. No one, I think the only person in my life at that time, and I really wasn't around my mom a lot, my mom was really the only one saying, I think you need to go get help. I think there's something very wrong. And I just was in a prideful place. And I also, I had just kind of settled into this idea that this is how my life was going to be. I had no idea how wrong things were. And at that time I was in, this was also the time I was embarking on like my spiritual journey for the first time. So I was in a lot of prayer um, and first time like being exposed to yoga, um, trying to use it to, you know, combat the pain or cope with the pain. Mm-hmm. But when you're in pain, mm. yoga ain't going to do nothing. You can't, you can't settle. And if you can't settle, you can't practice any form of connection because yeah. you're not settled in yeah. yourself. So August 4th, 2013, the night before August 4th, actually August 3rd, I could not sleep. I was in the most pain I had ever been in um, in the last seven years. And I remember like going for a drive at 1 a.m. And then I went back home. And at this time, I was living with my dad. But that night, I decided to stay with my mom. And I don't know what made me stay with my mom. She had a bed, on a mattress on the floor for me in one of her rooms. I stayed the night there sometimes. And that night, I stayed. And I slept on the floor. Because when I feel my spine against like just yeah. a harder surface, I felt better. It relieved my pain. And even to this day, like now I'm getting back to where like I don't sleep with pillows anymore. Now I'm kind of just sleeping with my spine nice and neutral. Um, and I woke up August 4th, 2013. And that pain that I had been feeling for seven years on and off was not going away. Um, and I remember just... Everything tunnel vision occurring, and I began perspirating, like sweating, almost as if I had the flu, and calling out for my mom. And my mom came into my room with 911 dialed, mm. like like her and I had been silently preparing for this moment for seven years. It was just like this her innate response. And I was calling out to her. I was in I was in excruciating pain. Called 911. The medics came. All of these instances happened very quickly. They came. I I was begging for them to, you know, they have to go through all these things when they first see you, but they got me right on a stretcher, right into the back of the bus, and I was en route to um, the hospital. And my heart rate was up to 219, 220. I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode. For some reason, I feel like we did. But... Um, a lot of people are not going to survive a two, 220 heart rate. Yeah, no, um, no way. That's not like a thing. And I remember my mom telling me when she looked back, because she can see the monitor, that my heart rate was that high. And I had been training um, prior to that. Right. Remember, I was yeah. wearing my heart rate monitor. I was getting mm-hmm. my heart rate up into low, really low 200s, like 200, 201. Um, and I remember getting to the hospital my doctor was um, on call, so he wasn't there. And I remember passing out. Like, that was the last thing that I remember, like, vomiting and passing out. Um, and then the next thing I remember is opening my eyes. I had a tube down my throat. Um, they had to remove my contacts, so I couldn't see. But my eyes were open. And I could hear. I couldn't understand, but I could 
I knew that there were noises occurring. And what I want people to understand is that um, life support and uh, being in a coma are two different things. So when I say life support, people are like, wait, you woke up and you were on life support? Yes. Like, I wasn't in a coma. Um, My bowel had perforated. I was going into septic shock. Um, I went into my first surgery. They did their best to clean me out um, and remove the part of my intestine that was terribly infected. And then put me on life support, which is a breathing, for me, was a breathing machine. Um, So I was not breathing on my own, but there was something breathing for me, which means that I could open my eyes. I had... I had no sensation in my body, though. Like, I couldn't feel anything. Um, and I was cognizant. Like, I was cognizant. And we know that I was cognizant because my first surgery did not go well. Um, I'm, all of my stats, everything was dropping. I was dying. And they were going to take me in for a second surgery the next day, August 5th. And we actually have papers of things that I wrote before I went into that second surgery. You can barely read them. My mom knows what they say. I know what they say. But you can barely read them. And they say things like, um, what's happening? Or, you know, I I have to pee. Or can you please um, tell me what's going on? I'm not scared. I remember hearing or knowing they were going to take me in for a second surgery and my mom not wanting me to hear. And also, my mom told me everything that happened to me two months after I got home. Right. So we, we correlated our stories as well. Um, and I remember her not wanting me to hear that I was going in for a second surgery. And I wrote, I'm not scared. Um, Do you know if your mom ever went to therapy after that? She did, yeah. And she's in therapy now. Okay. And she's still... That's traumatic. Yeah, my for, mom. I mean, obviously for a mother, for you, absolutely. for a mother to witness that. Absolutely. And my mom is actually, she's in, I think the therapy that she's in now is really where she, this is the first time she's actually unpacking that for herself. Wow, that's good. Parents rarely go to therapy. Absolutely. Like, I, I mean, you know. it, you know, and my dad was involved in this. But my dad definitely was positioned a lot differently. But my mom told me, even after I got home, like, she was praying to God to just trade places with me. Oh, she just wanted to trade like yeah, trade places with me. She wanted nothing more than to be where I was. Yeah. And I felt her at the end of my bed, you know, mm-hmm. when I when I was in there. Yeah. I could feel her. Right. Um because she was her prayer mm-hmm. was the strongest yeah. and the loudest. Um and she just held space. Mm-hmm. Even when I wasn't fully aware, she just held the space. So shout out to my mama. Mm-hmm. I love you so much. Um, and so I went in for my second surgery. That second surgery saved my life. Um, I was on life support for two more days after that. Um, and they, when they finally took the tube out, which is excruciating, um, and I took, like, my first breath on my own. Like, I I just couldn't. I was not, like, in my, I was not in my right mind. Like, I just want people to understand, like, even in telling the story, this is six years. Well, more like four years of telling the story. 
um, where I I kind of like speed past certain parts because it's like, how can you even verbalize um, breathing for the first time for a second time, yeah. right? The first time you breathe on your own is birth. And I took that second first breath when I was 19. And when I was finally off life support, they got me some glasses. Like, I remember you had to, like, order me glasses because I didn't have any glasses and I didn't have my contacts. Um, and I was surrounded by family that I had not seen in years. Some family I had never met. Like my Uncle Ricky. I met him maybe when I was five years old and I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen him in 14 years, partially because he was, you know, in jail. But he was there. And I couldn't believe, like, all of this family here with me. It just felt, like, surreal and um, I couldn't eat. I was on bad nutrients. I went into the hospital at 115 pounds, mm -hmm. solid, because I was working out still. When I woke up from my surgery, I was 190 pounds because all of the fluid they pump mm -hmm. in you, well, they had to pump in me during my surgery. And when I looked down for the first time, um, when they had to pack my wound for the first time, that was probably the most shocking moment of my life like looking down at my belly and it being open and exposed and just sutured like I, my stomach was left open so these surgeries are typically planned um and because mine was not planned and there were several complications lots of infection um was going to occur they had to leave me open so i had an open wound and you could see the muscles and they were sutured together and I had two drains right below that wound, um, two bags coming out of my lower abdomen, yeah, to drain out the abscesses, the infection that is caused when, you know, seps like you have right. a septic body. And you said you were on bag nutrients. What's that mean? TPN. So basically, I had a pick line mm -hmm. um, into your arm. Um, that this one was in my neck initially. And then it got moved into my arm. And so then, I had a pick line for a long time. I had a pick line even when I went home. Yeah. So the pick line that was in my neck, TPN is, um, it's basically liquid food. It was and like it so I could get. veins? Or you're into Well, your I had like, a pick line. So that's yeah. where the IV is going. Oh, okay. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Does that make sense? Well, so it's just like all the nutrients. And it goes right into your blood. Bloodstream. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because wow. I couldn't eat. Um, obviously I couldn't eat because, you know, your my oh, yeah, intestine was everything needs to heal. Yeah, and I had just mm. twelve centimeters of my small bowel or your small intestine um was removed. And I I wasn't using the bathroom. I had a catheter. Yeah. Um, okay. And I I the very my I think it was the day after I got off life support, they made me get up. Oh yeah. And let me just tell y'all, like, 190 pounds, I had a complete muscle atrophy. I lost all muscle that I had. Um, any amount of muscle was gone. So I was bone, tendons, and, and skin, like, literally, and fluid. And I got up, and I just remember, like, feeling, like, the weight of the world on me. I had a walker, and I had to walk around the nursing station just once. It probably took me 25 minutes to do. It was excruciating. It was excruciating. And it's, it's in, like, even to reflect on it is just, I couldn't even fit everything that happened to me in that, during that hospitalization into this episode. No way. 
Yeah. Even just reflecting on it now in my mind is like, and even to pinpoint the most important parts is hard because it's which, which part isn't important, which part isn't yeah. crucial, you know? And the fluid was so much that like I couldn't, I couldn't sleep lying down. I was in the ICU for, um, for a minute, and my, t- my timeline with that is a little off, but I was hospitalized in total for about 65 days. Um, in and out of the ICU, so ICU and the women's floor, right? So in total, and um, I don't think I ate until I actually like ate for the first time until like the second month that I was not really like real food, um, and so where should I bounce from there? I guess from that point, that's that that's not necessarily, I mean, I guess it can be considered a low, but it's, or it's just like a very pivotal point. It is the most, it is the, it is my everything. So from that point, when did you start to feel somewhat normal? What was a switching point for you where you started your face? Oh my God. I partially still don't feel normal. Um, I, I, I know that's why it's kind of hard to word. Well, you know what? I, well, I became very, I became severely depressed, um, but they, they find, like, the fluid was not leaving my body, and it needed to, and so they gave me something called Lasix, and I started to lose the fluid, and I think for the first time, I started to feel, um, like a regular person again, but I went from 190 to 75 pounds, so when I went home, I was 75 pounds, like a stick, and I... I went home with the IV pole. So I don't think I started feeling normal until about um, nine months after that. Mm. Because I was, and even then, normal is such a, I know what you mean when you I say know, that. I know, I'm sorry. Like, when did you start to, no, 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 I know what you're, I know what you're asking me. Because what I want people to understand is, like, the recovery um, took about two years. Okay. Um, a year after, I, I remember like when I finally got home, I was dependent on pain meds because um, they were giving me anything and everything. Because I, during my, my hospitalization, there were so many complications and they had to do things to me while I was awake. And so they were giving me their strongest. Yeah. Their strongest. Yeah. And I went home with pain meds. And I had to withdraw from pain meds in my mother's home, in my bed. Mm. And that was really hard for everyone to watch, like watching an addict. It was difficult, and I did it. I did it for two weeks. And those two weeks kind of set the tone for what the next year was going to be like. Um, And a year after my surgery, I became suicidal. Um, And I don't want to say it was directly correlated to the surgery, but it definitely was... I just didn't understand why it happened to me. And I also was getting pressure from my father at that time as if I, as if I didn't almost die, a year, almost right. die a year prior. And I just felt like I didn't really understand like why I was here and for what if, if my life was designed to be painful. And I took, all of, I took two medicines that I had from that surgery. I took them in, lar- in a large amount. And they, I survived that. They could not pump my stomach because of my surgery. My wound, my wound wasn't even fully closed a year after. My wound was still closing, and they could not pump my stomach. And I survived that attempt. Taking pills. Yeah, and I survived. And I remember waking up 
I was hospitalized for that for like five days. And I remember coming home and being like, okay, I'm not going anywhere, mm-hmm. apparently. Apparently. I'm not. He doesn't want me. He don't want me yet. Um, and after that, I really started to make the changes that got me to this point. And those were changes that were, they were hard changes to make, disconnecting from my dad, um, making healthier choices in regards to my diet, in regards to how I thought. And that's a whole, that's why we've made the podcast, to dig into those things. So I don't even need to go into that because every episode um, is rooted in self-preservation. Absolutely. Every single episode that we make Mm -hmm. um, is rooted in that. And... I just really took what had happened to me and I just kind of made a decision that to heal. And it sounds simple, but like I did things like when my wound finally closed, I would like sit and ponder like, was anyone ever going to see this scar? Was I ever going to show this? People were, there were nurses and, um, and even family members who were asking me if I was going to get plastic surgery. Um, on my body from my scar and I couldn't believe that they were asking me that because I was like I went through all that just to go through another y'all think I'm gonna go go under into another surgery after I just went through right. all of that but on top of that what is wrong with having this right after everything that I have gone through and so I would do things like, like it doesn't erase it it doesn't, it doesn't erase like it just it because I have Plastic surgery. And nothing and also, against it. Nothing against plastic surgery. Y'all do what y'all do. But let me just tell you right now. If I endure something and I survive it and I get a scar from it, I don't see a need to change that. Yeah. Um, to be attractive. None of that matters. None of that matters. Okay. That's all that I'm saying. Because at the end of the day, I almost lost my life. Right. If the physical shit mattered... I wouldn't have a scar. It clearly does not matter. That shit does not matter. And I would do things like, I would like sit, because I couldn't work for a long time. I would sit and be like, you know what? I put on, one day I put on a two-piece bikini and I went up to my mom's uh, apartment pool and no one was there at first and I just laid out with my scar out. It was the most, it was the most difficult thing, like, I had done after that and people were coming to the pool and I was like nope you're gonna sit here with your scar out yeah because one day y'all gonna have to see this I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide what I've been through Mm -hmm. to appease others or because it's not attractive or it doesn't look good or it's too too much yeah you know yeah I went through that I went through that and it's okay like and I'm here to tell it Mm -hmm. and that is why it's so important for me to share because I feel like, and here's the thing, like we all go through traumatic things in our lives and we all have the choice to, you know, reserve it to ourselves or to share it. I've made the conscious decision to share it. And I also think yeah. that a lot of people's scars are internal. Mine just yeah. happened to land on the outside. Yeah. I cannot walk around, you know, thinking any less of myself right. or hiding it. It's a huge part of who I am. Can I share the yeah. first time that I, I think I, we met was at the class that you taught? 
was that at the first time that we Charles met? The Charles H. Wright Museum, yeah. yeah. So the first time we met, it was at a yoga cl- a yoga event that, yeah. that Adria hosted. And I, um, I saw you, and we connected because we knew each other via social media. Right. And so when I saw you, you immediately were like, you opened your arms for a hug, and she had on, you know, a, uh, you had on a bra, I think, yeah. and then pants, and, and, like then, a, uh, and a little yeah. over thing, um, like a drapey thing over her yeah. uh, shoulders, but I could see her scar, but at first, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about your scar, I think I had saw it once on social media, sure. but it was, I, f- I for- forgot about it, right. and then so I saw you, I saw your eyes, and I connected, and then in my peripheral, I saw yeah. your scar, and like, f- it was just like, hey, I know this girl, and then as soon as I saw that, it drew me in, and I, it was, it's weird to say it, but the first thing I thought was, she is a human. I don't know how it, how it make, how it can make sense to you listening, but like, it was like, she has lived a life. Like, oftentimes you don't know that people have had these experiences or anything. And seeing it, I just felt the depth of your existence up to that moment. So absolutely. And it's like, it's a, it's a part of me. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason I had to heal from the inside out. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Like, and I really show it because it's for me. Honestly, it's for me. It's not for anyone else. It's not for alike it's not for attention it's for me it's my level it took me a long time and the first time i took my shirt off with a lot of people was in the yoga room it was in the hot yoga room and no one cared no one looked at me no one cared and that space i just now i just wear it out as if every space is the yoga space and yeah people are gonna look people are gonna wonder um but like i said like a lot of us, our scars are internal. We endure, and our scars are inside. Our wounds are inside. Um, and mine, you can see. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to me. And someone said something really profound to me the other day about being a wounded healer. And that is a part of like why I do what I do. I, I, have, I have endured, as many of us have, but then taking it and and making use of it yeah um i can't imagine my life situated within going through that and never never helping another person i could never imagine my life that way Mm -hmm. and so um which is why you have this which is yeah absolutely absolutely that's why everyone there why it's a blessing it's such a blessing yeah um it is such a blessing to be given um a huge challenge Um, in your life and the resilience to overcome it. And I believe that we all have it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it takes a lot to tap into. And that isn't the easy part, Mm -hmm. but... And it's hard acknowledging that all the time. Sometimes it's like, fuck this. This doesn't feel like a blessing. This is absolutely yeah. And the first two years, I was like, "This is some bullshit." Yeah. Like, and even like tomorrow, you can be like, "Screw this." I don't want to help anybody. (laughs) And some days, I'm like, "What the? Like, how? Why? You know, like, 
even just thinking about your future like you don't want your kids to get this you don't want yeah certain yeah. attributes but you know everything for a reason and um i'm really grateful for the opportunity to share yeah um and that's what this was all about so um on that note i just want to say like thank you for listening for holding the space mm-hmm. um i'm not the only one like no I'm not the only one, and that's why it's so important just to talk about it. Um, and I think we're going to have a whole episode about, like, therapy, and I really want to um, go kind of hard on that because that really was what helped me the most was talking about what I had gone through. It's really important to unpack trauma. And you, in trauma, my sister said it perfectly. She was like, trauma is complex and compounded. Mm. There's so many layers to it. So... Um, that'll be you know one of the things in terms of overcoming or yeah. coping with what has what yeah. happened to me um i think we'll touch on that absolutely. so um i think we'll wrap it up yeah thank you for here. sharing that absolutely thank you for holding the space absolutely um and so if you want to follow us on our social media i'm um at andrea mahal adria moses and then the chronic hustle yes. and then if you have any questions or you just want to share your story you can send us an email at the chronic hustle at gmail.com and we look forward to seeing y'all and talking to y'all in episode eight bye Peace.